How can a husband lead a risk-adverse wife? How do you overcome hardship alone? And how do you become more productive? I do my best to answer all those questions and more on this episode of This is Foster. Okay, let's get started. How to face hardships in a godly manner, especially when there is no one to walk with you through those hardships. Yeah, that's a difficult situation and a great question. The simplest answer is that you just have to develop a biblical way of thinking, right? The right uh, frame of mind. And that starts with recognizing the world for what it is, which is sin-cursed, it's fallen, it's uh, full of disease and death and all sorts of, of bad things because sin has entered into the world. And part of the goodness of the gospel is that it will deliver us from this world in time. But even after we're born again and God calls us his own, uh, we still have to face trials and, and hardship, but you need to know that God has a purpose behind those things. I think one way that'll help you to face these hardships is to memorize scripture. And one place I would start is James chapter one. It's uh, those first couple of verses, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. So there's a purpose behind those trials, right? And, and we should count it joy to be going through them, not because we enjoy the trial, but we know the Lord is maturing us in our faith through them. And, and you see that in the lives of the patriarchs and the lives of the Old Testament saints. Uh, I, I love uh, thinking uh, that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is my God, and they all went through difficulties, and God was faithful to keep his word to them, and he'll keep his uh, word to me. It's also helpful to go through the Psalms, particularly uh, David's Psalms when he's suffering, uh, and, and realize that your experience is a common experience. Everyone suffers in this life and faces hardship. And I was just reading Psalm 13 with my uh, kids for devotions tonight. And that's where he keeps asking, how long, how long? When are you going to answer my prayer? When are you going to deliver me from my suffering? I think uh, what you see is a man coming before God, um, actually going through something faithfully, which is to call out to God and say, please deliver me. He ends that Psalm with just praising God for how steadfast he is and, and how kind he is to David. So develop a biblical way of thinking about hardship. The book that has been helpful to me, uh, I believe it's called God's Light on a Dark Cloud by Kyler. He's an old Presbyterian guy. He's not he's he's not like a real hardcore Scottish Presbyterian. So it's kind of a kind of a fluffy book. But there's not a lot of good books out there on death. Um and when I had my my daughter die, I had a hard time finding anything. And then a friend of mine, his his daughter died, and I was really looking for something to send his way. And I found that on Reddit, and it was very helpful to me. So memorize scripture, recognize this is a common experience. You're not alone. Go look at the lives of the saints and maybe check out that book. How do you guide your wife spiritually when you are embracing biblical masculinity and therefore are taking more risk with finances and other things? Any helpful advice or pitfalls in conversation with the risk-adverse wife? 
to avoid. Marriages are like cars. Cars have both a gas pedal and a brake pedal. And there tends to be one spouse that wants to go full steam ahead and another spouse that's uh, more, uh, you know, slow it down. And that's okay. You want both of those things in, in a relationship. It is true that men are more willing to take risks than women, generally speaking. But that doesn't mean all risks are good or even manly. They could just be stupid. And so how calculated is the risk? How much thought have you put into it? Have you sat down and, and explained it to her? Or is she being a good brake pedal? Is she actually slowing you down so you don't run off into the ditches? Uh, that's a good helpmate. If she's saying, hey, let's think through this, right? Doesn't necessarily mean that she is questioning your leadership on the whole, but wanting to understand uh, the, the, the amount of thought that you've put into that. If you've just embraced biblical masculinity, if it's a pretty recent thing, you need to remember that that all the internal changes that have happened in you, and maybe even some of the external fruit, is probably not as clear to your wife. It's It's kind of a lagging thing. It takes a while for people to change their view of you. So if you've had a rough track record, you're going to have to deal with that, and you're going to have to slowly demonstrate to her that you are trustworthy, so she'll uh, she'll be more apt to follow you. So, do you have a budget? If you don't, I would start with Dave Ramsey's, uh, you know, little steps or whatever they, whatever he calls them. Dave Ramsey, you're not going to get rich with Dave Ramsey, but you're going to stop being poor and broke all the time. And then, if you really want to get ahead, I'd recommend something like YNAB. You need a budget. I really that's what we use in the Foster household, and it's been uh, very helpful to us. In terms of investments, I'd be very careful and I would just, you know, max out your 401k before you're buying some risky property or getting into cryptocurrency or something like that. Go do your research, read a couple books, look at all the sort of tried and true stuff. Don't try to make up for years of, of mismanagement of money overnight. That'll lead you into making worse decisions. In a nutshell, when dealing with a risk adverse wife, and this is true really with anyone that's risk adverse, to help them follow you, they just need to see that you've done your due diligence, that you've put your thought into it, and and that what you say you're going to do is something you've been doing, and it's not an empty promise. So I hope that helps. How have you introduced your online presence to your sons, Twitter, Facebook, etc.? How do they think about it? Do they get to read the posts at home? I've been in and out of public ministry their entire lives. So they always have thought as, of me as a kind of public person. They've seen me stand on a stage and meet with people. Also, I've been creating social media content really for years. First on Blogger, then on Typepad, then MySpace, Facebook. Um, I had a big uh, or a decent falling on Periscope before it was canceled. So they know that I'm in that world, and they've always known that. What do they think about it? Well, they know I don't take it that serious. Like, it's fun to grow your Twitter account, but I haven't, you know, now that I'm almost at 40,000 or whatever it is, it's not like I finally arrived. (laughs) I think social media is kind of silly. I really focus on the media side more than the social, using it as kind of a networking tool and a messaging tool. But uh, my kids, kind of make fun of it. 
especially my older boys. They're not on social media outside of they all have Discord accounts. And uh, Hudson is on Twitter and Instagram, very small, mostly kind of a lurker account. But they like to tease me about it. None of us think it's like a big deal. And uh, do they get to read the posts at home? Well, a lot of those posts really come out of conversations I have with my wife or my kids or around uh, kind of family devotions uh, during dinner time. So they they would be really familiar with all that. Matter of fact, Hudson never finished It's Good to Be a Man. And I remember him telling me, like, I know this, I know all this already. I've heard this my entire life. Kind of related to this is something I find interesting. And that's none of my kids want to be online influencers. They're not really interested in creating podcasts. I do have a daughter that likes to draw and she likes to write. And I do have one son who, for a time, wanted to be a kind of a, a gamer, like a that streams like on Twitch or whatever. But that's all kind of past for him. And I think it's because they hear me talk about how fake most of the stuff is online. Like it's not an actual representation of a person's life. Like if you looked at their social media content and then you spent time with them, it would be really disappointing. And so I don't think they have a really high view of social media content production. And that's probably a good thing. So I got a bunch of questions from guys basically asking how I balance all the things in my life. My large family, the fact that I'm a sales director at a company, and I'm also a pastor of a mid-sized church, about 300 people, give or take. So that's a pretty long conversation. There's a lot to it. But in a nutshell, I've learned to leverage uh, three skills that I've really developed over the years. I, I call it stacking, networking, and team building. So stacking, what I mean by that is I try to make everything I do count twice or more. If I write a sermon, I'll rework it into social media content. If I outline a book to develop leaders at my workplace, I do it with an eye towards using it at our church. If I fly to a conference, I use that time to answer workplace emails. If I fly to a trade show, I write my sermons. If I go to Home Depot to buy wood for the farm, I bring my son uh, with me and have a heart-to-heart sort of conversation. Uh, So I'm always just trying to make things do two or more things whenever I can. So I care about efficiency, but I I care more about the ability to repurpose or make my activities multifaceted. So that's what I mean by stacking, stacking uh, things on top of each other. Networking would be another one of these skills. I've always been good at making friends and contacts and keeping up with them over the years. I'll save their information, their emails, whatever, friend them on social media, and we just kind of keep up. And that's very natural for me. I, I never thought of it as networking to much later in life. I just enjoy meeting people and hearing their stories. So people are interesting to me. Uh, many people that are kind of a big deal now know me uh, because when neither of us were big deals, we met at a conference or, or ran into each other at a trade show or whatever. It's just I have an, a, a really large network of, of friends and um, connections, and I've been able to use that to make things happen that others can't because they don't have those connections. I was able to pull the first county before country conference I did, uh, pull together like in a single day. And I just made a bunch of phone calls 
and reached out to George Grant and Chris Wiley and Aaron Wren and, and John Moody, and, and we pulled it together like super quick. And I put very little planning into that, and the guys that showed up were just guys that I trusted, and I knew they were quality, and I knew that I would enjoy it, and it, it went off really well. Uh, we did three years of County Before Country, and it really was this be pulling for my my network of, of friends. And I have found that your network is your net worth. So just being more friendly and keeping up with people goes a really long way. Lastly, uh, team building. I don't work alone almost on anything. I knew I needed someone else to make it good to be a man happen. So I contacted non-tenant and we worked on it together. East River was launched with a three-person advisory board that quickly became an elder team. And David Pryor, our worship pastor, I decided if he would not come on and do the church plant, I wouldn't do it. Uh, the sales force that I manage, I've got a training coordinators that work underneath me, sales managers that work underneath me. They have sales team leads with them. Uh, our house and property is broken down into different responsibility zones that we assign to our various children on a rotating schedule. Uh, all the books I'm planning right now, uh, either will have co-authors or really heavy editor uh, involvement. So I try to put all my effort into where I'm strong and recruit others to compliment me wherever I'm weak. So I'm always building a team to get a lot done. Okay, let's get the last one in. What can an older guy who has recently been convicted by your work to stop climbing around and grow up actually do to achieve this quickly in the absence of any male mentors. Even with male mentors, you cannot make up for lost time quickly. You just can't. I learned a lot of things in my 30s that I should have known in my 20s, and I'm learning a lot of things in my 40s that I should have known in my 30s. When you grow up with a absent or abdicating dad for whatever reason, or let's just say you didn't prioritize things right and you wasted a bunch of your life away, there are real consequences and you're just always going to be lagging behind some other people. But you don't want to base your life on other people. You shouldn't be comparing yourself to other people all the time. You can make up a ton of ground. It, it can happen, but it starts just by taking one step at a time. I know guys think that male mentors are going to help them really close the distance and they can to some degree. But I say this all, all the time is that masculinity or manhood or just godliness is something that's caught more than it's taught. That's why podcasts won't get it done. That's why books won't get it done. And the things you should have learned through the example of your father or an intact family, if that was missed out on, well, you're really behind the eight ball and that's just how it is. Now you can look to other examples of, of just productivity and godliness in your life and learn from them, but it's going to take time. And that's why you just have to give yourself to this work. And you can have radical changes in five years, radical changes. You really have a radical change in one year, but nothing is quick. Nothing is immediate. Everything requires discipline. Instead of comparing yourself to others, you can Look back on who you were a year ago and ask yourself, have you grown? Have you grown in godliness? Have you grown in faithfulness? Do you keep your word? Do you have disciplines like prayer and scripture reading and church attendance? Are those things uh, steady in your life? 
and just look for a pattern of growth in your life and then ask God to strengthen you in your pursuit of Him, step by step. I'm Michael Foster. I appreciate you listening. You can help this podcast out just by leaving a review or a rating or sharing it with a friend. And until next time, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word.